This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with A Doctor Delivers Podcast. Today, I am discussing donor egg and surrogate pregnancy with Katie Ancalade of Egg Donor Solutions. Have a listen. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, as you guys know, I am Dr. Shannon Clark with Babies After 35, and I am a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And today, I have the joy of talking uh, with Katie Ancalade of a- Egg Donor and surrogate solutions. Um, and real quick, Katie, I want you to tell people where you guys are located. Where are your offices? Sure. We are a nationwide agency. We work with families here in the U.S., even internationally. But our um, home office is in Dallas, and um, we have offices also in Tampa, um, Oklahoma, and also in Denver. Perfect. And how I know about egg donor solutions is because I used you guys. Um, you know, one day I'll tell my, uh, all the details about how we, you know, actually later on this month, I will, I'll tell about my journey specifically about the egg donor process, but, um, you know, there are different ways that you can find the egg donor registries. Uh, that's what we call them, right? Egg donor registry. Yeah. Uh, different, uh, companies or services have the egg donor registries and, uh, long story short, my husband and I, uh, picked three different registries. Uh, we wanted to stay local. We ultimately decided on three, you know, women we potentially wanted as candidates and our top uh, pick was through Egg Donor Solutions. And so that's how I know about this uh, awesome company and um, what they do. So, and I've had a relationship, um, the twins are now almost four. So I've talked to Katie uh, off and on throughout the years for various things. And so I thought she'd be a great resource to talk about um, uh, egg donor and surrogate pregnancy. And the surrogate part, I'm going to learn about because, you know, uh, a lot of people ask me about it, but I don't have personal experience with it. And um, I don't know a lot about it. So I'm super excited to get to that portion as well. So without further ado, we're going to go through some questions here. If anybody is joining and has questions there, oh, there's a comment. Wait, Uh, there's surrogate solutions there. So they're watching. Uh, Actually, there's, is there another comment? Uh, If you have questions, you guys can enter them and I have to toggle back and forth. So don't, uh, um, lose patience because I have to go back and forth to see who's asked us questions so we can answer them as we go. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is Katie, what are some of the common reasons why women actually end up seeking to use an egg donor? So most of the time women, um, they need to use an egg donor because they've gone through the IVF process and they haven't been able to get pregnant on their own. So some women are experiencing, um, Premature ovarian failure, that's when menopause um, has started much earlier than usually, typically after the age of 40. They might have diminished ovarian reserve. Um, that was me. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Genetically um, transmitted diseases, they both um, might be a carrier of something and they're trying to avoid that in a child or just a previous history of failure with IVF. A lot of the women that we talk to, they don't really know exactly why or why those embryos and they haven't gotten pregnant. Their next best step is using an egg donor. Right, and I think that's a good point to bring up because um, we always wanna know a reason why. And unfortunately, when you get to the infertility part and if IVF doesn't work, we don't always get a reason why. And uh, that can be hard to accept at some points because it's always easier to know this is not happening or this is not successful because of X, Y, or Z. In my particular case, I had been through five cycles of IVF between the ages of 40 to 42. Out of all the eggs and embryos, we ended ended up having 16 embryos out of the five cycles to genetically test that made it to the point to test. 
And out of all those 16, only one was genetically normal. And that's because of diminished ovarian reserve due to and poor egg quality due to my age. Um, so ultimately, you know, after some thought, uh, we decided to proceed with egg donor. And I don't even remember how we got to that point. I don't remember if someone said, hey, you might want to think about this. Um, that's probably what happened, but I don't exactly remember. But here we are. And that's my twins are now four. Yeah. yeah so that's um, what they say. I'm like, my doctor just said, here, give yeah. Maybe this is a good option. <laughs> you might want to try it. You know, uh, yeah, that was probably what happened. My doctor says, you know what, Shannon, it's been five cycles. You might want to think about something else. So, um, yeah. So, and then next obvious question would be what are the ways that an egg donor can be used? So, typically, there are two ways an egg donor can be used. Um, they, someone could need an egg donor and they go with a fresh donor program like ours, or they might use a frozen donor. So typically um, a frozen donor option is a little more cost effective. It can be done quicker, um, but it's usually not recommended for people that might wanna have more than one child or need more than one embryo in order to transfer. So that's why we end up working with a lot of families um, where a fresh donor program is gonna take a little bit longer. You search through a database, look to find somebody, we confirmed her availability, then she went through testing and screening but we have more of an extensive database. You could find someone in exactly what you're looking for. Um, and it gives people multiple embryos typically that they can transfer or um, maybe siblings down the road. Yeah. So those are the two different ways that egg donors are used. Yeah, so I personally, I use that fresh. So we, we picked a, a donor um, and you know one of the things, and this just real quickly, when you're looking for an egg donor, it's you kind of, you have to decide what's most important to you or else the, the process of looking can drag on and on and on. My husband uh, was going into great links and, you know, researching all over. And I said, you know what, we're picking five things that are most important to us. And one day I'll reveal those five. We're going to find, you know, in this area in, in Houston, Texas, where someone has those five characters and that's what we're going to, or five things that's important to us. And that's what we're going to do. And it ultimately worked. Um, so basically, if, when you use the fresh donor, whatever embryos are made from that cycle are yours. Mm -hmm. And they, they get frozen and then you use them when you're ready. Uh, you know, for me, uh, we ended up with five embryos. The first two embryos were transferred and I, we, got, we transferred two because of my age and the fact that I had failed cycles before and transfers before that. But that's not always typical. The first transfer did not work. The second one did. And we still have one embryo left. Um, but are there ways where uh, like two couples can share the eggs from one donor? Is that possible? Yeah, that's called a shared cycle and it is possible, but you typically are gonna both be at the same fertility clinic and then right. having those same five characteristics that you both want. Yeah, you have to agree on the same person. So yes, you know, I'm not saying it's not, can't be done. I'm sure it is done, probably not as commonly, but it, 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 if cost is an issue, that might be one way to help with the cost but again, you both couples or both parties have to agree on the same donor. And then, you know, you don't pick, I want this egg and this egg. It just, it's split down the middle and right. And that's how it happens for the shared yeah, cycle. In fertility clinics, they call them an A couple and a B couple. So okay. A couple is guaranteed B couple. And there's some, you know, financial things that come from that if there's not enough embryos. Good. Okay. All right. So how about, we already talked about this. How do we go about finding an egg donor? So if someone is at the process and they decide to hit the internet, what, what is some of the first things they should look for?
So really, you kind of have to decide the fresh versus frozen. What's the best option for your family? Um, and then what those characteristics that you're looking for, um, that top five or location, all of those things can be important. Um, and then just understanding that most of the time you're going to find what's called an, una we call now an unidentified egg donor cycle. So we used to use the term anonymous. Um, now that we have the internet and social media, that's not quite the same way as right. it can be. So that's when they can go through, you can there are tons of agencies out there, um, but you can look for an agency that fits what you're looking for with the types of egg donors that you're wanting and um, search from there. Right. And, you know, for us, we, again, we wanted to be local or I did. I kind of had to rein my husband in a little bit. I wanted to be local because, you know, if you are in city A and you pick an egg donor in city B and trying to coordinate, you know, that can be very tricky and it can also be very costly. But again, like Katie said, you have to kind of decide what's important to you. Otherwise, it, the search can extend on and on and uh, you can get really lost in the process. So um, that's was kind of what was happening with my husband, because I told him, I said, listen, I can't do this. It's hard for me to look through profiles. You know, why don't you go through? We, we picked our five, but he was still, you know, those wheels were turning. And I said, you know what? We got it. Let's narrow it down to Houston and let's go from there. So and it made it easier for me as a physician and not having to travel and, and add that extra stress and expense. Um, so yeah, you find an egg donor agency, you decide, you could look at the profiles basically um, and basically go through filters, mm -hmm. height, weight, um, education level, or some other things, uh, ethnicity, uh, education, like I said, the education background. What, like what are some of the more other more common filters when you're looking for the egg donor? Those are some, most of them. I mean, yeah, most of them, yeah. we, we always say when you get on we recommend that our clients get on and they search by race if that's important to them mm -hmm. and location and start there. Like, yeah. You know, right. there are multiple, you know, that nature versus nurture is what comes mm -hmm. into play here. And um, as you know, there are things that come, you know, from both sides, but also mm -hmm. I was talking with another mom the other day and she said, I tell my kids it took three people and you get things from, me, Author, yeah. <laughs> egg donor, like yeah. come yeah. from mom too. So, yeah. um, but that's usually where you start. And then mm -hmm. I always tell people like, you're not replacing yourself. You're just finding somebody to come alongside you. So find some of those basic things where you get that connection um, and then move forward with the selection mm -hmm. of that donor. Actually, once uh, I, I started getting into the process, I actually got excited because I saw a light at the end of the tunnel and I, you know, after having gone through everything I had, you know, had gone through, yes, it's a difficult decision to make it to get to that point. But once I got there, I was, you know, I felt kind of, I had hope again. So uh, it ended up being a really beautiful process in the end. And I, something obviously that I'm very thankful for since I have my two little regrets over there. So, okay. Um, so the process, I know what my, pro how long my process, but average, how long does the process typically take from, you know, so you pick the egg donor until actually, Impl or, uh, embryo implantation. We will we'll leave the pregnancy part off, but yeah, from picking the donor till the actual transfer of the embryo. We typically say three to four months from the time you select that donor until she can have a retrieval. Um, so during that process, there's medical screening, there's legal contracts that are mm -hmm. put into place. She's going to start medications and have that retrieval. Of course, if you're testing embryos and genetically testing, which yeah. I know you guys were, there's a period of time that those are frozen. Mm -hmm. um, sent off to testing 
and then you can transfer, you know, anywhere from two weeks to months later, uh, just depends. Yeah. yeah. So, and then of course, based on the don't, you know, egg recipient, once the egg, the egg donor has gone through the cycle, you know, how many eggs you have, um, and then determine at what point you're going to start preparing your body to, for the uh, embryo transfer. So she provides the eggs, your partner or sperm donor will provide the sperm, the embryos are made. And then it's kind of similar to the IVF process again. And then where you transfer the embryos back into your uterus, as far as how many embryos that all depends women ask me that question a lot, even with egg donor, they assume that because it is an egg donor pregnancy, that they're automatically going to put in more than one. And that's not always the case. Uh, it depends on your uh, specific circumstance and what your fertility specialist specialist recommends. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that's out there too, that it's not assumed that you're going to automatically get transferred two or more eggs just because you're using an egg donor. Um, you know, the legal considerations, uh, you know, that could probably be a whole topic <laughs> in itself, but just hit on some of the, you know, key legal considerations between the egg donor uh, couple or just egg donor person uh, and, or sorry, the egg donor and the recipient uh, person or couple. Right. So every, we, I'm going to speak from where we feel as an agency. So here in Texas, there is fam, there is family code law that says when a donor chooses to donate that the eggs retrieved are the, what we use the term intended parents and that there's no rights or responsibilities on the egg donor. And that's, you know, everything is on the intended parents. Um, so some people say like, that's fine. Like that, that code is written in. So we're not going to worry about it. We can just come up with our, you know, we're just going to go through this process, sign consents and move forward. We at Egg Donor Solutions um, believe that you still should have a contract in place. So as you know, you went through a contract process where both of you signed the yeah. egg donor sign. If an egg donor is married, then her spouse is well, um, where yeah. she is saying those same things. So legal representation on both sides, you're signing that agreement, you keep it anonymous by um, having an affidavit that just states that I am these intended parents and um, those are kept on file with an attorney as well as our agency. But um, that is it. Families don't have to adopt when they use an egg donor. They are the parents and make all those decisions. Donors do not want to come back after children that they have donated for. All donors mm -hmm. are really excited just to help. Mm -hmm. um, and subsequently, we tell donors the same thing. You're not going to have a kid knock on their door, knock on your door 18 yeah later and say, please pay for college. Um, yeah. that's, that's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important that you understand the legal aspects. And again, this is a, that's a whole nother topic that could take another hour. Mm -hmm. um, so we won't go into that too much, but rest assured that whatever agency you go with um, and the laws probably vary a little bit between from state to state. Um, but it's their job to make sure that they inform you and they have, you have legal representation and all questions are asked on the, uh, with the contract so that everything is understand uh, or understood on both parts. So I think uh, from our experience, it was very, you know, I'm not a legal person and my husband wasn't either. And it was scary. I mean, uh, I had never been through anything like this and I, it was a little scary, but I think, you know, going through with you guys, y'all made it very easy for us and we're very available to ask, answer all questions, which I think is very, very, very helpful um, to have an agency that is that uh, accommodating and available. Um, okay. Typical cost. Yeah. So what's the typical cost of, and we're going to, we're not going to consider any previous failed cycle IVF cycles. We're talking about 
once I decide to do the egg donor, what, what is the average or typical cost that am I looking at? Okay. So there's two typical um, parts of that process. First is either with an agency or with a frozen bank and what that cost is to acquire those eggs. So at EDS, we say our portion is typically between 16 and 22,000. Um, that's based on the donor that you select, what her compensation is, and if she does or doesn't have to travel. So local first time donor, kind of on the bottom end of that spectrum, proven donor who may need to travel is on the top. Um, and then you have medical fees associated with the fertility clinic. So testing and screening of that donor um, and medications transfer. So mm -hmm. overall, we say it's typically somewhere between 35 and 45,000, um, depending on what those fees are mm -hmm. in your situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you're essentially paying for whatever the, the fees are for the agency and then essentially paying for the IVFs or egg retrieval cycle for the female because you're retrieving her eggs. So whatever cost that would be. And, you know, IVF is not cheap, but you're essentially doing IVF only she's doing the, the first part of it and you're doing the second part of it. So think about, you know, what an average IVF cycle costs plus the additional cost of going through the agency and the legal parts and the additional testing of her um, as the egg donor. And there are medical things that need to be tested for before uh, you move forward. Um, and there's also uh, some other part is, uh, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. We talk, had talked to a counselor and that's recommended. You know, I said I was going to bring this up. We talked to, you guys have a counselor that's available. So that's recommended on both part, both sides as well, correct? Correct. Yeah. A donor is always going to go through a psychological evaluation um, mm -hmm. to make sure that she understands the process and is open to it. And then we always recommend that families go through and discuss you know, why have we gotten to this point? How comfortable yeah. do we feel about it? Are we going to talk to kids about it later um, prior yeah. to entering that agreement as well? Right, right. So there's, you know, there's other a little extra things to consider when you're using an egg donor and rightfully so. Um, but again, a good agency is going to walk you through that and let you know, just like any IVF center or fertility center, you know, they do this a lot. And so uh, they've been there, done that, and probably had every question asked of them that could possibly be asked. So they're, you know, prepared. And so don't think that, you know, I know we're talking about costs here. It's not just about cost, though. There's so many other questions, but don't think that any questions not appropriate. They I'm sure they've been answering a lot of questions that you might might have been afraid to ask to begin with. So if you have a question, just ask it. Yeah. OK, so who can be an egg donor and then how many times can one woman be an egg donor? OK. So typical egg donors are 21 to 32. They have, they're healthy and they know their family health history for the most part, um, because that's really important to families as they're selecting someone. Um, they should be drug-free, have normal monthly cycles. And ultimately, if you're working with a good donor, she should be excited to help you. Um, we at, at EDS, like that's important to us. Our egg donors are not just doing this to make money. It's bonus for them or their family but they're genuinely wanting to do and help it, wanting to do this and help a family. So um, according to ASRM, um, it's recommended that a donor only donate up to six times. Sometimes there's some more in there if they're donating for what we call like a sibling journey. So that would be, mm. you know, if you guys decided you wanted five kids, um, <laughs> you might yeah. You know, need to go through that process with the donor again um, in order to get more embryos. So that's kind of where there's a lenience. 
So, you know, we'll talk about the, as far as who can be an egg donor. And I get this question a lot about the age. And you said the age, the uh, ideal age is what? 21 to 32. And do, had, do they had, should they have had already had a child or do they not have to have had a child before? No, they don't have to have had a child yet. Unless so that's older, important. Typically like a doctor, you know, if they're over 27, probably they're going to need to have had a child in order for that doctor to feel comfortable moving forward with yeah. it. Okay. So, and the other thing to consider why the age is important is because for two reasons, you know, we know, and myself as an example, the older you get, the less successful, you know, especially with IVF, you know, it was unsuccessful for me, even though I was unhealthy, I was healthy because of my age and the diminished egg quality and quantity. So when you're going to the process of using an egg donor, you want to have a woman who is more likely to a produce a lot of eggs for you with the medications the older a woman is, which as an egg donor, the less likely she is to have a lot of eggs with that. And so it just makes sense. So we're not trying to, you know, leave other people out for being egg donors, but you have to think about what is best for you. You're spending a lot of money and being able to get as much eggs from that one cycle she does is ideal. The more eggs you have, the more embryos you can potentially get. So um, that's the main reason why age is important. So what about, do you ever have uh, people who want to be egg donors for other family members and that might be a little bit older or do you guys do that too? Or is that something that's done in another capacity? Typically on the egg donor front, then they're going to do that through their fertility clinic. Um, okay. And doctors will waver from that criteria if it's someone that they know, no. um, but you can expect, you know, the results out of, 34 year old sister as you would get out of the egg donor. So. Yeah. 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 And then for the other thing is that, you know, uh, for, for egg donor registries in general or agencies, most of the time, and I think you touched on this earlier, it is, you said you didn't like to use the word anonymous. You use the word what was unidentified. The term? unidentified. So they, they uh, intended couple does not know who the egg donor is. And that is, that is what's typical. Are there any situations in, wh in which through an agency that that would change and maybe they do know each other or couldn't meet each other? Yes, it does happen. It's just not as common. Um, I would say maybe five or 10% of the time they might choose to meet beforehand, um, but it's not as typical as an unidentified egg donor cycle. Yeah, and the reason why I ask is because I, I chose to meet um, my egg donor and she, she was, uh, willing to, and she was fine with that. Um, I don't, I can't really explain to you why I wanted to, but I, I did. And I was very grateful that she, she was willing to do that. And, um, maybe it was just something that I needed. I don't know. And again, I, as you said, it's not typical, uh, and it's perfectly fine that it's not typical. Not everybody has to do that, but it was right for me, yeah. but the option is there if you decide that, you know, and I think you guys, before we did that, you guys wanted me to talk to your in-house uh, counselor just to make sure that's really what I, you know, that I wanted to do that. And, and you know, so I did all that I, I need to do to make sure it was the right decision for me. Yeah. And we, we do have more families that choose to move later, choose to meet each other later on later. Or okay. through the donor sibling registry. Mm -hmm. I think it's more once people are like, okay, this has happened and there's a reason to connect ourselves to this woman. Yeah. Um, we see it happen more than, and we help facilitate that later on. If that's something that people. So want. after the baby or babies are born, then mm -hmm. a lot of families might come back and say, you know what? We do want to meet her. That happens. Correct. 
or at least register yeah, okay. with the donor sibling registry and start a conversation there. Yeah, so wh while we're on it, why don't we talk about the donor sibling registry? So the donor sibling what is, yeah. is a program that can sit outside of an agency situation. So if someone found a donor through an agency or possibly a frozen bank or even an in-house donor program at your fertility clinic, as a family, you can sign up with a donor sibling registry and then um, they work to match you with the donor that comes in. So we as an agency, we step in and we, we if, if you were to register, even though you already know your donor, but we'll use that as an example, you register, you get like a screen name, think old school, like AOL messenger. <laughs> and then um, the donor does the same thing. And then they say, okay, you match with each other. So if that donor did donate six times and you had six families that ended up um, registering there, that would also connect those, all of those families together in an anonymous way, but where they knew kind of where that genetic material had gone and maybe how many children were a result of that. And the donors. And so could like they ask, they could ask questions of the other families too, like, you right. know, are your kids healthy and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Would share any other yeah. medical information that they think was pertinent for someone to know. Right, right. Okay. So yeah, that is an option. Uh, is it an option at all uh, egg donor agencies or is is that not available everywhere? So the donor sibling registry is something that you can do outside of an agency. Outside of it. Okay. Um, outside. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a good question to ask if you're going through the process as well, if that is, right. that's available. Okay. So how do you, and I didn't know the right word, but how does your service vet, if you will, uh, make sure that the person that's donating eggs is actually, you know, okay to donate eggs in, in multiple arenas. But, you know, how do you guys pick who are your, who your egg donors are? Okay. For your yeah. registry. Our agency accepts about 7% of the donors that initially apply to our program. So a lot of people want to do this, but they don't necessarily qualify for different reasons, but they go through an application process with us. They go through an interview and then we review any medical or previous donor information if they donated elsewhere um, or any other medical concerns that there might be. As an agency, we are focusing a lot on their desire and motivation and commitment to a cycle. This is not like something that should be taken lightly. lightly. Um, and so we're talking with them. We're making sure that they understand what's happening from the donation and what to what that means later on in life. Um, we have a lot of our team members that have been donors before, so we understand the right questions to ask. Um, so we ensure that they're good quality candidates to present to the families. Yeah. So, and that's important to, you know, I didn't want to have to think about, you know, well, was this checked out and that checked out because then you can just go, you know, drive yourself crazy with all the what ifs, you know, um, going through a reputable uh, egg donor agency is is very important um and knowing that they did their work on the front end so all that you have to do is go through the process of picking the right uh, egg donor for you um so that's also very important to 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 feel that you are you know you don't have to go back and worry about all the other stuff yeah. you know listen the whole going through this whole process you have to lose you lose a lot of control mm -hmm. and you get to that point and it's you know, it's even for me as a medical professional, I, I had to lose complete, you know, relinquish a lot of control over the, you know, through this whole process. And it's, it can be hard. So, but at the same time, it's actually a little reassuring knowing that, you know, someone was looking out for me because I'm sure, you know, women feel very, very vulnerable once they get to that point. 
and knowing that, um, you know, someone is looking out for you making sure that they did, you know, do all their homework for you so that all you have to do is decide who's the right donor for you is very important. Yep. And that's as an agency, that's what we love doing the most. And our job is to advocate. It's not always mm -hmm. perfect. Um, you know, this is a crazier season than we've ever had in ever. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we're always double checking with donors on their availability and can they still commit and is something happening with their job or um, family health situation. Um, and so that's what a, yeah, that's what a good agency is going to do yeah. is make sure that they're doing their legwork, not just handing you somebody and stepping out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about surrogacy. And again, I, as I told you before we started this, we were kind of chatting before we went live, but this is not, this is something that I don't know a whole lot about. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this because this will help when people ask me questions. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I can at least send them in the right direction. But um, I do get a lot of questions asked about a surrogate. So we'll talk just right off the bat. What are the different types of surrogate? So typically there are two types of, there are two types of surrogates. You're not seeing one as much as the other, but if you, there is an age where they assume that you might be being a traditional surrogate. So a traditional surrogate is someone that the egg and the person carrying the baby are the same person. Um, at Surrogate Solutions, we don't do any traditional surrogacy programs and probably through the rest of this interview, I'm going to tuck that in a tuck that one aside because it's just not as common anymore. But um, another term is a gestational carrier. So that's someone who carries an embryo that was created from egg and sperm that is not there. So either, you know, a biological from mom and dad or dad and an egg donor or whatever that may look like. But um, she is just carrying that baby and is simply doing that process. And so the the gestational carry in just to some, it means that the only thing that she, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, donate is the uterus to carry the right. embryo. Whereas mm -hmm. the traditional surrogate, she uses her egg mm -hmm. and her uterus. And again, that's not done. I know that's done in other countries a lot more than it's done here. I know it can be done here, but uh, as Katie said, we're going to switch gears and talk mostly about the, what we call gestational carrier. Uh, gestational carrier, right? Is yes. terminology, but it's still considered a surrogate. Correct. Right. Okay. Those are the two ways. Now, um, how would a woman know for both parts, I guess, how would a woman know if she could be a surrogate and how would a woman know that if she could use a surrogate? Okay. So start with being able to use a surrogate, you know, in our mm -hmm. office family, you know, women call and, or anybody calls and just says, okay, I haven't been able to get pregnant. I think I need a surrogate. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. <laughs> um, you probably want to see your fertility specialist. There's like a hundred stops before you get to surrogacy. Um, so that's kind of a misconception. If someone can't get pregnant on their own, they must need a surrogate. It's yeah. typically not the case. So, um, so it's really going to a fertility specialist and letting them, you know, you've gone through the IVF process and have been unable to get pregnant or there is something wrong. Um, the only time that people don't need to see a fertility specialist is maybe if there's, you know, we've had clients that weren't born with a uterus or, um, of course yeah. couples are going to need surrogate as well. Um, yeah. so really talking with your fertility specialist and making sure that surrogacy is something that you need to do, but it usually is because they've just had unexplained miscarriages or have just not been able to get 
pregnant. It's not quite as, you can't run numbers the same way you can with diminished ovarian reserve. It's kind of like this hasn't happened. And so you need a gestational carrier. On the flip side, women who um, might be a good candidate for being a surrogate is someone who has had healthy pregnancies, who um, typically are done building their family and um, are excited to help a family. So my professional work was in egg donation long before it was Mm -hmm. surrogacy. And I guess almost six years ago, we were done building our family. We had three kids. And I mean, I tell people, I was just like walking through TJ Maxx and I called my husband. I was like, I guess I should be a surrogate. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, we're done having kids. I've had great pregnancies. I mean, it was fine. And, and what was his response? He was like, you want to be pregnant again? And I said, eh, it's fine. We'd like to help somebody. And um, hands down, like the best thing our family has ever done. We got to carry for a family that lives in Houston. That little guy will be um, five in July, which seems crazy to us. But um, I've had healthy, simple pregnancies. I mean, I'd had some C-sections, but they were simple pregnancies. And mm-hmm. so it was just a way that we could mm-hmm. help somebody. Like, yeah. we were done. So we do typically yeah. recommend that a surrogate be done or be okay with the fact complications can come. So we like for people to be done building their family. Yeah. Um, so between 21 and 45 um, is the typical age range and healthy and all of those things as well. And so for most gestational carriers, you know, on average, are most of them not known to the family or, you know, do you have any stats on what percentage are known to the family versus not known? Uh, it's totally flipped from egg donation. Most are known. Um, okay. They're like, there's a handful of celebrity couples that may not like, but otherwise, it's a known fact that. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm, maybe I should quote. Meaning that the woman was already known to them prior, and they picked a, like a friend or a family. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I'm not sure what the stats are with that. Mm-hmm. I would say there's there's more people that have to use a surrogate agency or a surrogate. Yeah, okay. um, we have a program. We call it a family um, program, and that's where if someone does have a friend or a family member that's agreeing to carry for them. We as an agency walk them through that process to just keep like we still require a psychological evaluation on both parties and help keep the finances on the up and up um, Mm -hmm. and just help them maintain that relationship moving forward. Yeah. And I and I think it's important to, you know, even if you're going and again, I'm just saying this because I'm saying it as a medical professional, because I've seen some things um, having delivered babies. You know, I think it's always important, even if it is a friend, even even is a family member, that you have a third party that's involved to keep things. Um, I don't know what the what's the right word I'm trying to say to keep them. I don't know if legal is the right word or what's the right. You know, because I, I I've been in some situations where that wasn't done and it and it got tricky. Um, so I think it's important to have that third party involved, even if it's your friend, even if it's your family member, just to keep things at a certain level, I guess is what yeah, I'm trying to say. I mean, it's important to have that person to advocate on both sides, both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things happen. Um, but then yeah, there ha- it's kind of like a debt debtor relationship, I think in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, okay. um, so we as an agency are able to, um, come in and make sure that the right parameters are put around that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Not necessarily monetary, but that the right parameters. So like if it's your sister, you want to be able to walk through this when it's all said and done and have a great relationship. And that's right. what agency is for. 
And so talking about those things, and I would never recommend, even if you don't use an agency, I would never recommend going through this process without complete legal documents put in place. um, That talks about all the things that can happen because not Mm -hmm. every pregnancy is going to last till 40 weeks and have Mm -hmm. a vaginal delivery and go perfectly. It's just, yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up. I mean, again, that's a, uh, we don't have to go into all of that, but you know, I, I will just say if you end up using a surrogate in any capacity, it's important to have a third party that's there to help make sure everything's considered and that everybody understands on both sides what what's going on. Right. For sure. So I'm imagining, are there surrogate registries or how, how does someone find a surrogate? So same is true. Um, some people find them on their own, um, but most of the time, if you're going through an agency um, with us, all of our families sit down and kind of explain to them what's important to them. What type of a relationship are they looking for? Do they want to go to all the OB appointments mm-hmm. or are they fine with just a little bit? Um, what type of relationship do they want during the process or after? What are their views on termination? What are their um, What financially is doable for them? Are they wanting a surrogate who's carried before? All mm-hmm. those things. So we as an agency, um, we match based on that criteria. So mm-hmm. our goal is that our families are able to have good relationships and that mm-hmm. it's a positive experience. So it's not quite, there's not hundreds and hundreds of surrogates to choose for, quite like egg right. donation is. Right. Um, some agencies do have where you can look on and see profiles. Um, mm-hmm. We value the matching aspect a little bit higher than just Picking, oh, yeah, picking yeah, like this person, yeah. this person, this person, this yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, and that's another reason why it's important to go through an agency because they, they've been. This is what they do, and mm-hmm. they know they know what things need to be considered that you may not have even thought need to be considered. Yeah, um, despite your best efforts, and the, so that's why it's so important. I and I highly advocate for that is is going through the agency to do something like this for sure. Um, for who is the ideal candidate? Um, to be a surrogate. So what makes someone a good candidate to be a surrogate for another um, couple? So we'll talk about this a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. under the age of 45, uncomplicated pregnancies and deliveries, genuinely interested in helping a family because this is not mm-hmm. a short-term process. They need to be in it, um, motivated in another way besides financial um, another major factor c- to consider is maybe where surrogate lives. Um, not maybe, but yes, where surrogate lives because that's where a child is going to be born. Um, and it may not matter for you as a family, but surrogacy is um, legal in some states and not in others. And what I mean by legal is you may or may not be able to get a pre-birth or post-birth order. Um, here in Texas, you can, um, which is perfect. Um, around here, maybe where most of your, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, we work a lot in as well, Nevada, California, Colorado, and there's many others. But for instance, we're not going to recommend that you have a surrogate deliver in Louisiana because you can't get the proper documentations in place. Other states, you may be able to get those documents in place, but you can't get what's called, um, but the agreement isn't enforceable. So we're going to recommend you do this process and a baby is delivered in a state where that agreement is enforceable. So, so location of the surrogate is important. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other qualifications, but overall that's kind of a good place to start. She's going to go. Yeah. I I never even thought about that. 
about the location being that important because but it makes sense i mean things are so different on certain as in certain aspects of this whole process about you know third-party reproduction and everything that uh, vary from state to state so it's important to know what those uh, uh, differences are depending on where you are and where your surrogate might be okay here's an similar to the egg donor how long does the process once you decide I'm going to use a surrogate till until the surrogate becomes has the the embryo transferred. What is the typical process? Typical length or how long does it usually take? Um, that process is close to four to six months by the time probably that you wait potentially to find that carrier. Um, she goes through that testing and screening, and then you actually have a transfer. It could be and the legal aspect. So it could be as little as three to four months, but maybe as much as six to nine. We typically say the whole overall process is between 15 to 24 months from you selecting or considering surrogacy to when you're holding a baby or babies in the process. Yeah. And another question, it's kind of along the same lines, but for LGBTQ couples, mm -hmm. you know, does it vary from state to state on what their rights are if they're using a surrogate? Um, it can less now that, um, if someone is married, it's far easier in almost every okay. state now than it used to be. But there are states that won't recognize any type of donor egg or sperm. So in those states, those same pre-birth order, post-birth are not doable. Um, okay. But you can always have an adoption situation. But like here in the state of Texas, if there's a same-sex couple that's married, even if they're using an egg donor, it's just as simple and easy as a traditional couple. So yeah, I guess it's very important just uh, in general to know what, what state you're in and what mm -hmm. uh, roadblocks you may or may not face. Okay, another important question, what is the average cost? Oh, so that's a yeah. broad, broad range. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it does vary. So some families are gonna spend $100,000 on this. Um, some can spend closer to 200,000. We found that our average family is somewhere around 140. So the okay. biggest variables is gonna be the surrogate that selected, um, potential insurance that she does or doesn't have, medical costs, and of course, just the extra cost and delays if you have to do more than one transfer, there is a complication. So, um, go ahead. No, are there provisions in place, you know, once a surrogate is chosen and you go through the process and she does have an embryo transferred if that pregnancy ends in miscarriage or pregnancy loss? Are there provisions in place if that were to happen? So yeah, there's a couple. So I can speak from our agency. So we're always gonna let you start back at that square one and let her go you know, transfer again. Most of the time doctors are gonna recommend that you transfer pretty much three times with that same surrogate unless they see some other issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so like their compensation stops financially. So that's where the financial comes in. So that compensation stops and then it wouldn't start back up. So there's some financial stops there. Yeah. Um, and then if something, there are other stops, of course, along the way, if they had to find a new surrogate, we're going to rematch a family for no additional fee. That's not the case to uh, actually a lot of agencies, but okay. um, it'll be up to the Fertility specialist, that family, and the surrogate, if they want to restart that process again. But okay, you're not with the, with the, all of that money if you don't end up with a child at the end of it. You're not, what was the last thing? You're not going to what? You're not going to spend all of that 
unless you end up with a child at the end. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. So there, I mean, there's things along the way that, you know, if this happens, then, you know, for example, it doesn't take, or there's a miscarriage or, you know, a loss for any reason. So, you know, all those things have to be considered. And I'm sure it would be the, what you're saying is it'd be the decision between the family and the surrogate and the physician as to whether or not, you know, a second time is done with the same surrogate. Correct. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. okay. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And this is a good point. Uh, and, you know, actually let's talk about, we got a little time. What, what are some of the most common misconceptions surrounding egg donor pregnancy? Um, wow. I know what I, I know what I get asked the most. I mean, I get asked the most, do you, do you feel like they're your kids? And, you know, I, I'll answer that very easily. I, I, yes, I do. Um, the only thing is that I see certain things that I know, like little quirks about them that I know didn't come from me, obviously. And I know it didn't come from him. For example, my daughter has this really prominent dimple down here. So I, t I asked my egg donor, hey, does anybody in your family have that? And she actually researched and an aunt of hers has it. And so certainly, you know, I noticed that. And now does it make, make me feel a certain way? No. But, you know, I just I'm curious. So do I feel like they're mine? Absolutely. And, and this can go through the whole topic of, you know, why after failing IVF so many times, why would you even go that far? For me, it was actually important for me to actually carry, have the opportunity or the chance of carrying them. Right. Because I wanted that kind of connection with them, at least. And thankfully, it did work for, for me even though we did have failed at the beginning. So that's, I think that's probably, would you agree? That's probably the most common misconception around the egg donor. You know, do you? Say, yeah, I would say that or, or why, why not? I mean, people say that even why, not adopt? Yeah. Well, why don't people adopt? And of course, if you've never been through the adoption process, you have no mm -hmm. idea what it takes and it's not that easy. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I get that question all the time and I get, slayed on social media all the time when well, you should have just adopted and there's plenty listen adoption's not easy it's also very costly it's not guaranteed and there's a lot of things with adoption uh even for a couple as myself you know with my husband who ha were financially stable i'm a physician it's not like i could just go out and do adoption and it'd be a, a sure thing so you know for all the people that think that uh we should be you know can cho choose adoption first don't think we didn't consider it but it's not as easy as some might think Everybody builds yeah. their families different ways. And right. back for that is so important in this industry. Right, right, right. So, well, and then, so what are the most common misconceptions surrounding surrogate pregnancy? So um, because there's more of a relationship with surrogates than with egg donors, you know, the number one thing, people, what if they want to keep my baby? Um, or what if, what if as a surrogate, you want to keep the baby? Um, when I was a surrogate, people, they always said like, how can you give that baby up? And I always circle back around to, first of all, it's not mine to begin with. Um, and, you know, I always say I gave him back. Like they let me love on him and take care of him for those nine months. And then I got to give him back to his mm -hmm. mom and dad. So most surrogates report that like the best part of their journey is seeing those parents get to hold their child for the first time. So um, and and to double on that is everybody goes through a psychological evaluation. So surrogates yeah. understand exactly what they're doing. Families understand that portion. So I'd say that's the first one is what if you, or what if they want to keep the baby? And that just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Like mm -hmm. that's like a lifetime movie. It's not yeah. real that that doesn't happen. Okay. Everything is okay. done. Forward. Um, we touched on this, but probably, you know, people assume that that's, that that baby is related to the surrogate. 
Um, and that's not the case most of the time. With IVF, then that surrogate is just simply that oven um, mm -hmm. carrying that baby. Um, and then I think the last is that surrogates aren't really interested in helping people. They just want to do it for the money. So um, I think that's a common misconception that people have, the caliber of women that are willing to carry. Um, you know, this is not baby mama either. <laughs> like another yeah. movie, like they've, um, Hollywood has ruined this in a lot of ways. Although there have been some good stories of surrogacy lately. But yeah, yeah. That's yeah. probably the other um, misconception. They go through a lot of mental, physical mm -hmm. screening, family mm -hmm. walking alongside where they know exactly what's going on in that pregnancy, yeah. have a good relationship. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say it would, it would take a very special person to be able to do that. And, you know, I'm so glad that that's an option, but that's also a reason why there's not as many surrogates as there are egg donors. Yep. Because it is a whole nother ball game to be a surrogate. And you really have to have somebody that understands the process and is, you know, willing and able to do that so and it should probably be that way because it's not something to be taken lightly correct so um, i had a woman write for my website who had been a surrogate i think four or five times and um you know one time and one one of their pregnancies was with twins but she was just a really remarkable person in general and um I, there are people out there like that so that's pretty amazing actually <laughs> yeah our whole entire yeah. surrogate team have all been surrogates themselves so Really? Yeah, everybody so on the cool. surrogate team has. So that helps just to understand the perspective. And then yeah, even surrogates, but also most of us have amazing relationships with the families that we did carry for. Um, yeah. I mean, I consider their closest family and advocate for those families in the same way, you know, our families as clients in the same way I would for our great friends that we did this. That's, that's incredible. And then the last question, um, you know, we, again, we don't have to go into this. Uh, we've already talked about, it. I'm sure there's other considerations for surrogates, but as far as for being protected legally, and you already talked about that some when we started talking about this, but um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of legal things that you have to consider once choosing to, to use a surrogate. Yeah. I think the most important part is that you have legal representation. If you go yeah. through an agency, ask that agency, who have you worked with? Who do you have a good experience with? Um, and and the surrogate and the intended parent should both have separate legal representation. That contract should be drafted okay. in a proper state that makes sense either, you know, most of the time where that surrogate is delivering and it should be following that law because that's what's safest for that family to end where yep. they need to. Um, and that contract should be a, a, but written by someone. This is not your buddy who is a lawyer like that who writes this contract. It needs to be written by somebody that that's what, this is what they do. That's what they do. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. unfortunately that's not super common. People will come mm -hmm. to us. It's like, Oh, we can just draft this. No, it's not that. So that, yeah. that legal contract should talk about, um, outline the paternity aspects, surrogate compensation, how to handle tough decisions like termination, a birth plan, any other complications that may come up. Those documents are, I mean, they're anywhere from 40 to, we have so much that they're 85 pages. Um, yeah. So it, it should be thorough. And then that same agency with that fertility, with um, that attorney should be able to walk through the pre-birth and post-birth options. Um, our international clients, those agencies um, and lawyers are going to help them with passports and getting out mm -hmm. of the country and help gotcha. them with what they need to do for citizenship where they live. So all those things are important. You should 
have representation that's going to walk you through that yeah. process. And and it is an investment financially as well. It's not a thousand dollar contract. It's an investment right. process. Right, right. So it's, it's probably very, very uh, one of the most important components of this whole thing mm-hmm. uh, for both egg donor and surrogate pregnancies is the legal representation and having an agency that um, knows who they choose to work with and has people that this is what they do. This is their expertise um, because it can get tricky and you uh, have to be, have an advocate for you, um, bo- both sides. Um, so, you know, I really respect what you guys do. Obviously you guys are near and dear to my heart. So uh, I really, really appreciate your time uh, today to talk about this. I think it needs to be talked about more. Um, I just want to put it out there that, you know, um, choosing to use egg donor an egg donor or going through surrogate, you know, there is, there are some things and people that have negative things to say about it. Trust me, I get it all the time still to this day, but my job. And I feel like one thing I want to do is kind of crush some of the taboos and make sure that women know what their options are and that I am so grateful that these options even exist because 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have been an option for me. So um, I want to just let women know this is an option for you. And uh, if you guys have any other questions and you could always contact me, you guys know how to get me on social media. Katie is through egg donor solutions on Instagram and website is the same, right? Egg donor solutions. solutions. Uh, So egg donor solution. Egg donor net to get more information about that. She's a great resource. Um, So, uh, ask it, ask away. And she's uh, there throughout the, the, the nation in different states. So um, anybody else that's seeing this from other areas besides Texas, where we're at, can uh, get some information from her as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you so and much. And your education. Yeah. Um, I'm sure through this talk, we've come up with some other uh, interesting talks we can have down the road. Yeah. So don't worry, I will be picking your brain soon again. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a great rest of your weekend. And again, thank you for spending part of your Saturday with me. And I know that you're going to help a lot of people with this talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now listen to the next episode where I have a fertility question and answer session with a fertility specialist.